Welcome everyone to Stories of Hope. I'm Christine Hotchkiss, your host. I believe everyone has a story that is unique, just like our fingerprints that put us on the path of our lives. Huh? Some call it purpose. I believe every story can help, heal, inspire, educate. And my one big word is to give hope. Today, my guest is Brock Bevel. Brock Bevel is a father of seven children, six girls and one boy. I don't know who I feel more sorry for. <laughs> the boy, the girls, or dad. <laughs> Brock is also a retired police officer from Mesa, Arizona, turned drug addict. Hmm, we've heard that one before. Opiate, to be exact. Opiate addiction took over his life. We'll talk about that more because I think all of us can relate. We've heard someone have that affect their life or take their life for that matter. After a major battle with opiates, depression, and loneliness, Brock decided it was time to detox himself. He started doing, he, excuse me, he started a drug and alcohol recovery center five and a half years ago, helping over a hundred men battling addiction. He created his own recovery curriculum. We're gonna have to find out what that is. He is also the host of a show called The Fix with Brock Bevel. His goal is to be able to help everyone that he can who is struggling with addiction. Please help me welcome Brock. Good afternoon, Brock. Hey, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Yes, love the flag, all about the flag with everything we're going through. You know what? That stands for a lot of freedom in so many ways. Would you agree? We need to represent it well. I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, where do I begin? Well, you were, you're a retired uh, police officer in Mesa, Arizona. How many years were you on the force? I was, a, I was a police officer for seven and a half years. Okay. That's a, that's a, that's a heavy job, especially with our current situation. Um, so many different things. I respect first responders, um, police, fire, you name it. I was actually a volunteer first responder um, in Yavapai County, which is in North Arizona. Yeah. And I was the one that get called when someone passed away. Mm. So um, that's a tough job, but that's, that's not what... Um, this is about your job. I'm going to wonder if this is where that addiction came in or was this something completely separate? So please tell me more. Well, you know, my addiction started while I was a police officer. I was on a, on a traffic stop. My partner, Max Van Adder and I were in downtown Mesa right there on Gilbert and Broadway. And uh, we were making a traffic stop on a, on a known drug dealer and a, and a user and we got uh, kind of in a bad place in wrong time mm. where uh, we went to make an arrest and she decided to run us over. So run I run you over. Yeah, she like, met us over. Like in your car, in her no, car. Look, yeah, we were on foot. We were making contact with her and I was in the back right tire. My, she ran over my right foot and I went to brace myself. She blew my knee out. Wow. Okay. So, I went through, you know, months and months of rehab, came back, and then ended up getting in a fight at a concert, working undercover, and blew my hand out, my shooting hand. And at that point, they're like, we got to medical retire you. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, you know, that's where my, that right there is where my addiction started. Sounds it like it. Yeah. So... And that is because it's the opiates, what we all hear about when someone has like surgeries or was this something more? You know, I, well, looking back, it was definitely something more. I definitely had injuries. I definitely was hurt. 
you know, the medical profession can say that. But what it was was I was on a I was on a undercover team, and this other undercover team worked narcotics, and we just worked the most violent offenders. So my the speed of my life was was fast. Does that make sense? We are yeah. always going. And then when I retired, I remember them taking my keys away, my badge away, the gun away. Uh, you know, it was just all your property that you give back. And the next day, you're different. You're a completely different individual. You were a police officer yesterday. Today, you're a civilian. I couldn't go check in. Couldn't go see my guys. Couldn't. I mean, I could go to the police station, but I had to sit in the lobby to get in, wait for them to get me in. So I went through, I got really heady. You know, I went through some serious bouts of depression, which I didn't know. You know, I didn't know. So what I was doing is I was supplementing my depression mm. with opiates. Mm -hmm. And I was fueling myself through these opiates and, and sadness and sorrow. And I just, I got super in my head. You know, can I stop you for a second? We had talked about the loneliness part when I introduced you. It sounds like when you said all these things were, I don't want to say stripped, but they basically took away an identity you were used to having for that seven and a half years. Now you felt like you're like, who am I? What am I doing now? And then you also had your injuries to add to that, right? So, Absolutely. So that's how it kind of spiraled into what it did? Yes. Just losing, losing that connection with people oh, wow. every day yeah. and going to the police station and seeing my friends and partners and and just having that camaraderie the next day, it was stripped away, gone. And now I'm home alone with my wife and kids, and it was different. Different. You weren't out there saving and protecting and doing a job that you've – it was a job that you – it sounds like we also get into this routine of things. So it was a schedule you were used to getting up and doing, and you knew what you were going to do. You knew who you were going to see in the day, and now that wasn't there anymore. It so what gone. did you – it was completely gone. So what did you end up doing then? You said that it took over your life. So what happened where you had to figure out now who you were after having the badge and everything else taken? You know, that's interesting. No, nobody knew about my addiction because it was, it was medicated. It was through my doctors, right? right? I, had, I had three different doctors. I had a hand doctor, a foot doctor, and a knee doctor. And each one of them I could go and kind of doctor shop. <laughs> that makes sense. I would get more here or less here. And I, and I even could play my wife, you know, all oh, that makes me sick. That makes me sick. And, and so I, I, nobody was aware that I was struggling with this addiction, but me. Wow. And, and I had so much medication that I was actually getting it and selling it to a best buddy of mine. And he was taking it and selling it and bringing me some cash back, you know? So like, yeah, I didn't feel like it was wrong. Right, right. But I find it interesting you saying that because you were on the other side of the law knowing what that side was not right. So you got caught up in it and didn't probably even realize it. And then you're manipulating it. Yeah, I mean, we were making, I mean, that was my function. That was, a, when I was a police officer, I was definitely best at narcotics. I, I moved up in the ranks. I, I loved doing that aspect of the job. Just didn't think it would attack me the way it did the silent killer or the sneaky one. So where did you finally realize that this was not working out for you? You know, it took me nine, nine almost 10 years to figure it out. Wow. Yeah, I, I was divorced in the meantime. I, uh, I, I lost 
some valuable time with my kids and some relationships with my kids. And it wasn't until I was in my bedroom and actually my bathroom and I opened up my cabinet, my medicine cabinet, and there were a bunch of pills, pill bottles. And the pill bottles had writing on it, like how many I had left. Yeah. And so I was like, oh my goodness. And I shut the door and I could see from my mirror into my bedroom and my bedroom was a disaster. It was like a crack house that we used to go do deals in and do search warrants on. And I'm like, I got a major problem. And so that identification, that recognizing, hey, your pills are perfectly placed and your room and your life a disaster, you need to fix something. That is an eye opener. So where'd you go from there? Because we talked about how you actually did the detoxing and then you started a drug and uh, alcohol center, recovery center. What's interesting was I didn't know anything about drugs. I didn't know anything about rehabs. Nobody in my life had ever experienced a drug addiction, alcohol addiction. So I didn't know that even they were available. So I, what I did is I, I leaned on my higher power. I have an, an awesome relationship with God, and it took me seven days to withdraw and overcome my, my opiates. And so I, I locked myself in my bathroom for seven days. Wow. Uh, would walk out to get water, you know, but I mean, if to be candid, I mean, I went through, I defecated myself, I urinated myself, I threw up on myself, I was, I, I was sick, I felt like my bones were going to break, and, and the problem was I was alone. That made it probably even harder thinking, you know what, maybe this isn't what I need to do and go back to what made me comfortable or made me feel safe. I'm not sure. I'm not, I've not experienced it. I needed to get through it. I knew I needed to get through it. I knew I didn't want my life to continue that way. So I needed to go through that. I just didn't realize at the time how epically challenging it was going to be. I've interviewed other people who have gone through similar withdrawals or detoxing and the things that you just said, they're kind of vile when you, when you talk about throwing up and urinating and all those other things, but that, is, that sounds like it's part of the process. Is that right? It is. Uh, Especially with opiates and alcohol, you got to go through the process. And usually they're medically induced. Those two drugs, you, you should probably go to the hospital to get help from. Mm -hmm. You can die from, a, from an opiate, you know, withdrawal and alcohol withdrawal. But I just... I didn't know all that. I just needed to get over it. So I laid in my shower, turned my water on, and just prayed. Prayed. Power of prayer, I believe in it wholeheartedly. Yeah. And you know, for, you. Our, for our viewers and our listeners, if you, if you don't believe in God, believe in something that will get you through whatever you're going through, especially something that is as difficult as this. Um, we always have to have something, right? Um, so... You took the seven days. What happened after the seven days? Where did you go from there? Because you don't just all of a sudden have to go, okay, now I'm better. I'm going to get back into life. You know what was interesting? In my life, it was. Really? In that seven days, I had, I had a very spiritual experience with God. And I said, if you just, if you get me up and you get me out of here, I will change the person I am. And at the seventh day, I remember... I prayed to him one last time. I said, listen, you either take me because I can't go through this much longer or let me be a changed man. And, I'll, and if you heal me, I'll walk out of here. And it was empowering. It was, it was an immediate, it was an immediate change, an immediate 
uh, fueling of power and to where I, I stood up and I walked out of that bathroom and 11 years later have not touched an opiate. Good for you. Yeah, but I, but not everybody has that, that same experience. Agreed. And you're always going to have that title of an addict because there Absolutely. are people we've heard that something makes them fall back. So it's actually more of a struggle for you to stay clean than to be an addict. Is that right? Yeah, and for me, what was wild, I don't know if your other, your other guests have said this, but when my opiate addiction went away, my pornography addiction went on an all-time high. Oh, wow. No, I've never so heard I that. I replaced my opiate addiction with a pornography addiction. So another addiction of a replacement. Yeah, okay. wow. it's true. And doctors will tell you, you have to find some type of replacement theory to replace your addiction for something better. Or you're going to keep going back to it. I'm going to ask this because I'm not sure really where to go with this one. Why did why was that the choice of replacement instead of something else? Or was there no, nothing else? It just enhanced. I, I I had struggled with pornography from the from eight from about a year that I struggled with it. Okay. And. I, I felt like I had it under control and it ballooned out of control. And then I would, I would get under control and it would spiral again. And so it was kind of just this wave of control, not control. And when I, when I stopped using, that became my outlet. Mm -hmm. And addiction is cunning. It's powerful. You know, it works weird ways in our head. And I felt like that was a reward in my brain. It's just like the the man that has 30 days sober, he has a great week at work and says, hey, I can have a beer. I had a great week at work. Right. So we reward ourselves. And that was my reward was to look at pornography, okay. which is crazy, but I, but I had to identify that. You're being completely open, and I respect that. Um, a lot of people don't want to share certain things for either shame, embarrassment, or judgment, right? And uh, I do appreciate you doing that. So past that, where did you find where you actually started walking in a more clean line where you started getting involved with helping other people, as I'd mentioned in the beginning, that you have helped over 100 people and have got your own recovery curriculum? Well, we, we, we've helped, we've been blessed. We've helped hundreds and hundreds of people okay. um, that have come through our, our program. And what, we did, what happened was I started working at the Sholo, uh, Sholo Junior High, a high school that's here in Arizona, junior high. And I became the assistant principal. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I went through a couple other jobs. I was a medical examiner, examiner, investigator for a while. But ultimately, I landed at this school and I loved it. And I worked with the principal and his daughter was in active recovery in Prescott. And we were just talking. And we noticed a trend in our community where we had a lot of the parents. They were coming in in the morning to drop their kids off and they were intoxicated. Oh, boy. Hung over from the night before, and so I'm like, we gotta figure something out how to help these. the The kids can't change if the parents are still doing the same right. stuff. At home. Right. So that's what kind of sparked me, and I left the school to start a drug and alcohol recovery program. Uh, six, uh, almost six years ago now in April. Is it is it up in Sholo? It is up in Sholo. It's transferred ownership now, but I, the, the business I ran was called Blue Vase Recovery Center. We did that for five and a half years. It's transferred ownership and they're doing great. I mean, it's, it's thriving because the community needs a recovery program. 
So if I could ask real quickly, since it is still current, and for anyone who may see this or hear this, do you have contact information that you could provide for someone that may be looking for some help? Sure. It's up in Shiloh. It's called Recovery Works. And it's up in Shiloh. If you'd like, at the end of the program, I'll send you over their, their phone numbers and who okay. to contact. Okay. But there are thousands of programs down in, in everywhere, you know, and each program has a different niche. And that's why when, when you talked about my curriculum, I came up with my own personal curriculum because I found that my addiction didn't work or my healing didn't work through AA. Okay. You know, and a lot of people say, hey, AA is the way to go. And I believe in it too. Millions of people are getting sober. Right. But that wasn't my like approach to recovery. Okay. So we've got to take a different approach to it. Okay. And so I have to ask, because you had started out in the police force, and that is where it kind of started, do you work with first responders? I'm sure you're not the only one who's come across becoming an addict based on what is, you've just shared. You know, I have not heard a lot of police officers come out and say, hey, I was a police okay. officer, now I'm an addict. Okay. But, okay. Uh, but it does happen, and it's very quiet, especially okay. if they're actively involved in their employment. Right. You know? But there yes. Was, there was a gentleman I interviewed a while back who actually was a corrections officer, and he talked about the same thing you're talking about, and it was um, quite interesting. There are some jobs out there that are definitely um, – taxing and stressful um, and I'm not even sure and it's probably way out of my my league to find out how can we fix those individuals because we hear you know the the media coverage on stuff when it comes to police officers but there are a lot of other situations that come about that people don't realize that we all need help in some way shape or form but that there are other resources out there as you've already talked about um, so you rec you created your own recovery curriculum so are you currently still helping people now? Because you had mentioned your goal is to help I other am. people still. Okay, so are well, you... I'm, business. I'm trying to do more one-on-one -on -one coaching, online coaching, Perfect. and kind of gearing away from the 25 to 30 people in a classroom. Okay. But I'm actively doing it. So how would someone be able to um, inquire if they should want to know more about your program? I have an, uh, an email right now, chasingthevase.com. Okay. Um, also, I'm on Facebook uh, under my name, Brock Bevel. Okay. Yeah. So now, fast forward on this show called The Fix. I myself found it out on YouTube. And um, tell us a little bit more about what The Fix is and why you created or founded it. Totally blessed. In the right place at the right time, the city of Sholo came, approached me, Asked me, hey, we need a we need a show. We need to showcase what our community is struggling with. Can you come up with the curriculum? Can you come up with the the uh, the people to come talk, the guests, everything that you want to do? You can have car blanche. So we said, absolutely, we'll start a program and we'll gear it around recovery and teach people how to stay sober, be sober, act sober, and uh, give some hope because it's it's daunting. It is, and we, and it sounds like it's not just our youth that are struggling with this. It's it's all walks of life, right? All walks, and, and it affects. I mean, we, I've had people in our program up to sixty-eight years old, wow. and they're still battling the same the same demons they had when they were fourteen years old. 
Well, and if you think about it too, as our as we become seniors, because I am 50, <laughs> we aren't getting younger for some reason, but we are getting older, things start to happen where we do need medications or people need medications. Um, I do the best I can staying healthy with the way I live and what I consume and what I don't do. But there are people who do get medications and you see the medicine cabinets when you open up grandma and grandpa's medicine cabinet. And there's just so many different things. Then you hear about the youth that are visiting and they see what's in those cabinets. And like you said a little while ago, make a little cash, you know, turn it over, make a little cash if they don't use it themselves. So I'm 68 years old. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Because there's right? a lot of medications in those medicine cabinets, in those pill boxes, in grandma's purse. It's everywhere. And, and alcohol, I just, did a, I just did an article today about alcohol. You know, it's, it's ridiculous because the, the biggest killer is legal. Yeah. And it's in every store, almost every party you go to, every, every swim party, pizza party, doesn't matter. It's there. Yeah. And so if that is your vice, if that is your addiction, man, how hard would that be to cut? overcome very true and you know now there's the legalizing of marijuana and some will we won't get into the details of all that but some people have their same opinion of well it's legal then their, their whole thing was well if it was illegal people were doing it more no I think it's about the same and um, there are people that are driving around or working um, you've heard the, um, the functioning alcoholic we know, I know some, and I know that there's several of them out there, and not to do any shame by no, many mean, by no means, never, never would I do that. But the marijuana, there's all kinds of stuff out there. It's like, so where do we find a happy medium to help people before somebody's life gets taken? Or someone, like you said, your life got turned upside down. You know, uh, the problem is, is there's such a, a negative stigma on addiction, you know, it's been like that forever, but it's actually a disease. And if we could, it's no difference than someone developing cancer. I didn't know. I mean, I was raised from a phenomenal home. You know, I did not know that when I took opiates, I was going to become addicted to it. It just had a different chemical hook on me than it does my wife. Right, right. So I have to be careful. And the, the first thing is I have to be, we, we use the three letters, awareness, knowledge, and choice. I have to be aware of everything going on around me. I have to pay attention. It's like our kids on their cell phones. They have to be aware of what's going on. Right. right? And they have to be knowledgeable. I had to be knowledgeable about my addiction. Once I saw my addiction cycle on paper and I could put it down, I'm like, I can break that addiction. But it wasn't until I saw it on paper that I could understand how my cycle worked different than anybody else's cycle. And then it's it, ultimately it's a choice on how I want to handle it. Do I want to continue or do I want to stop the process? So to answer your question is there has to be so much more knowledge out there, you know, and we can't just say, well, you're an addict. I'm going to put you into, into prison. Like we right. need to offer some viable assistance. Agreed. Agreed. Some, some sort of classes, courses, because even if someone goes to prison, which we do know that happens and they've served their time, did they get anything while they're behind bars to help them when they get back out into society? Because I know, and you can probably agree on this one, it repeats itself again and again and again because there isn't the education like you just talked about. 
So I guess that that's completely out of my my realm. But education for anything is helpful, and that would include addiction. Addiction it, it's everywhere, as you just mentioned. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, let's take a guy that's been incarcerated for six years. He's sober. Yeah. He probably hasn't used for six years, but he hasn't changed or utilized any tools. So when he gets out and he's thrown back into that same situation, yeah. he doesn't know any better. He's just going to start using again. He wasn't told, like you just said, you saw his, his um, map of himself on what happens when he does this or when he does that. Being aware, I think is what you had called it. Right, um, absolutely. So. So yeah, there could be some rehabilitation in a facility such as that. So someone actually be successful when they get out. And you know, it's okay. You made a mistake. We all make mistakes, right? But, Absolutely. Uh, we shouldn't have to repeat them and then not know that there was a way to get out of it. Um, so you you still have the show, the fix? I do. Okay. Yes. When do you record or air? And is it only about addiction? I didn't remember if I had asked that or not. It, it is pretty much about addiction. We, we focus on that. I mean, we've, we've talked about pornography addiction, cell phone addiction, uh, abuse. We talk about all the, uh, anything we'll talk about. Addiction, you know, period. Nothing's off limits. But I, I, it comes out every first of the month. We'll have another one. The next one I'm super excited about, I have a, a football coach from Thatcher that's coming on that was an active addiction in, at school, high school football coach, high school teacher, and just struggled same situation, nobody was aware of it. And so it's, it's just enlightening how you can see these other people. You see them in the community and you're like, no way. Yeah. These, these mentors that our kids are looking up to, we're human beings. We struggle with one thing, if not multiple things. On your show, where can it be found so our listeners or our viewers can go check it out? Every time I pull it up, it's, called, it's on YouTube. It's called The Fix with Brock Bevel. And I just... Google that and it comes up. There's some, there's some really good ones. I'm, I'm really happy with the way that's turning out. I, I did view about three of them. So yeah, and it was very, I was very intrigued and then I was very wowed too at the same time. Um, and then what is an email address or a contact information that you can be reached in the event that someone wants to reach out to you if they have questions or they want to know more about a program that they should go to or maybe, maybe they could be a guest on your show. Oh, I would love it. I'm always looking for good guests. You know how it is. Yes, I do. My email is chasingthevase at gmail.com. Perfect. I have this one question I love to ask everybody. What message would you like to leave our listeners based on your experience or your journey or about life in general? Ooh. I know. I know. You You have a lot right there, too. From being a police officer, from being a father, a husband, I've realized that life is precious. It's short. It's going to end. We got to be the best we can. You know, these challenges are just, are just blips in our lives. And not to get too high and not to get too low, just accept them as they come in. I feel like a lot of us, we bloom them up into this huge problem. If we could just take the problem and handle the problem as they come, I think we'd all be better off. And the last thing is not to be so sensitive. We're all going through a journey. We're all battling. Give people a little bit of grace. We all deserve it. Grace. I agree with you on that for sure. If we could just slow down, be in the moment, and realize that what we're going through is just for a temporary moment, right? It ends. 
It does. And so does our lives. And before you know it, we go, I can't believe that happened. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that, that uh, moment of grace. Cause sometimes I have to remind myself too. I've met a lot of people and I've talked to a lot of um, different situate, talk about different situations and each person I come back with something that makes me want to be a better person every single day. Did I mention I thought I was pretty fabulous yesterday? <laughs> so today I'm even more fabulous. Thank you again for being my guest. Sure. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for being my guest to share the journey that you went through, sharing that there is hope, that you have gone through healing. You have definitely inspired and you did give some hope. To my listeners and my viewers, because this is on YouTube as well as my podcast, if you have a story you want to share or you know someone who has a story or you have a story you want to be anonymous, you don't have to have your name attached to your story to make a difference in one person's life. Please email me to the address of Christine with the CH at storiesofhope.com and that's stories with a Y. And if you'd like to be a sponsor, you can also email me to Christine at storiesofhope.com. Until next time, everyone, I wish you well and you take care.